Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your host. Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, Al Warren, of course, KKNW, 11.50 a.m., and uh, we're just going to jump in it. I, I don't want to talk about anything, so um, we've got a great guest, and his a new book is called True Fiction, and uh, of course, everybody knows him, Lee Goldberg. Thanks for being Hi. here. <laughs> everybody knows me? Yeah, I was, you know, yeah, I was just going to, I was, I almost stole the introduction of, uh, oh, no, I can't even remember, I'm getting old, but it, it, no introduction is needed, should be the name of the show. Oh, that's David Letterman doing yeah. it with President Obama. President <laughs> Obama is slightly more well-known than me, slightly. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I haven't run any countries lately. Lately, but uh, give it a little time. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to run against Trump next year. I'll get in line. A whole <laughs> crew of people, I'm sure, are. I, I think a Jewish liberal Hollywood writer with no political experience has a great shot at the presidency. Why not? No, but you're missing, or you don't have a reality show. 
No, no, I do not have reality shows. Although my life often feels like it, I do not have reality shows. Well, you know, get someone like uh, Caitlyn Jenner to, to be the. <laughs> so I do, I do run into the Kardashians all the time because I live in Calabasas, and they seem to have some sort of alert system that I need to go to the grocery store or I need to go to the post office. So that's when they decide to go there with all the paparazzi and their film crew around. So it's it's. Not not great when you're in Calabasas and they're doing their show or they decide to leave their compound. Wow. Jeez, the things we miss in these little little suburb towns called <laughs> Seattle. Like Seattle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just down in L.A. And, and for one week and that was enough. So that's, that's well, And what, what turned you away? I mean, the traffic isn't as bad as Seattle and we have sunshine here. Well, you know, no, because I'll, I'll tell you what it was. Is on, on my third book, uh, they uh, the Oxygen Network decided to make it a documentary, and as pleased as I am with all that and excited, blah blah blah, you know all that stuff. Um, I'm a real rookie at that sort of thing, and I never had that as an intention. So I just jumped in there, signed all the papers, and. And went down there, and uh, it was just an awful experience for me. So yeah, it must be awful when a big network wants to make a documentary out of your book. I know. We call these <laughs> we call these champagne problems, my friend. Yeah, the white person problem. Well, you know what? The thing is, um, I could tell you some horror stories. Um, it just, and that's what I mean. I, I that's why I'm not crying about it, but. I am crying about it, but I, I just, I just, I tell you, I felt like I was, uh, man, I was, I was used and treated so badly at times. Um, well, you're saying this to somebody who spent his career in Hollywood writing and producing hundreds of hours of TV, so I, I know exactly what you're, what you're going through. Oh, it's, and, it's, uh, yeah. Um, I've you know, channeled a lot of that into my into my book. My book's a thriller, but the hero is a, an author and recovering TV writer who finds himself in the center of this giant conspiracy. But it's a thriller, but at the same time, I'm commenting a lot on the whole business of television and film, the whole business of working with actors and writers, and the whole business of, of publishing. So I was able to vent a lot of the frustration that you're alluding to in, in your experience in L.A. last week. Very good. <laughs> we'll have to get it um you know it was just yeah you know i'm just being a little bit of a whine but uh it was it was you know i'm pleased with the that it happened and all that but i was very um naive to the experience and i can see why people do have agents now you don't have an agent no you see that no and I, well there's one for the radio because we're syndicated now and i'm i need it for the syndication, and even when I talk to him, he says, "Well, you, you, you I better go." And I say, "No, don't, no, don't worry about it. It's just, it's just." And I didn't quite realize that I really should have had um, someone more involved. In there's the, a word for guys like you. Oh yeah. Come, <laughs> come, dumb, dumb. In an ocean yeah. of sharks. Yeah, I, I can understand why you ran the hell out of Los Angeles back to Seattle. I'm surprised you had any money left in your pocket or any virtue. You're a, well, you're a lucky man to have survived. Well, I, di I didn't have the virtue in there when I went. But, ah, okay. <laughs> but, and the money, well. I, I, just like I said, it was just sort of, you know what it is, it's just really disappointing. 
and I cannot believe how there there were so many people, producers and directors that I had met, and they talked so good. You know, they're so nice, and they love everything about you and everything you do. And then once it's signed, sealed, and you're in there, they hate everything you're doing. <laughs> they hate what you're wearing. And this this is a surprise to you? Well, it, it to the, you know, I guess this is my, you know, I stay up north. I have a house in Canada, and, and I stay in Seattle and back in, you know. And so maybe I've just gotten out of the scene so far, I didn't realize that... Uh, it's so jaded in places that um, I, I just I was just confused that uh, and then I you know it all comes together later you realize okay they're all calling you just to get you on board and they'll tell you what they need to tell you and then then after that it's like you know deal with it that's and, it you know I think the most frustrating thing and this this for you probably even as a writer is when you've done research and you've done a nonfiction book and you've done um, a total, you know, it's close to the bone and the meat to all the information you can get, verified a lot of sources, and you took a lot of time, and you put it out there. And and when that's there, and then you sign it, and someone's going to do a documentary, you're thinking, okay, great. And then when you're in there, and they're asking you questions about different situations that happened with the killer, then you explain it to them, and then they turn around and go, well, cut you know a lot of cuts uh can we change that and it's like well what do you mean well can't we make it sound a little bit more unknown a little bit more mysterious a little bit more could there be more <laughs> and it's like well you could but you're doing a documentary <laughs> I mean, I, well no that's that was where you're making a mistake yeah. they're not doing a documentary they're doing a television show and reality should be in quotation marks when you're talking about television. Their goal is to keep you from going to your phone or going to the Internet or going to another channel. They want to hold you through the commercial break. They have to make each documentary a thriller, which requires them to be careful in how they present the information, to create a hint of suspense or a dangling question. Basically, they have to structure their documentary like a four-act television uh, mystery show or crime show. That's how they keep you hooked. I mean, you see it every week on 48 Hours on, on CBS. Right. It's a different medium, and, and they're never going to get all the information you have in your book. And if they did, it would be so, um, no offense to you, unbelievably dull. They've got to make it move. I've never done a television documentary, but I have done hundreds of hours of fictional crime shows, and I understand how hard it is to keep a viewer on your station watching what you're doing when there's so many other distractions out there. So I totally get why they're trying to shape your, your interview, not to get you to lie, but get you to create a sense of suspense. I'm not condoning it, but I totally understand it. It's a, it's a different medium. And if you're going to keep doing these sorts of things for Oxygen and other uh, cable networks, you're going to have to educate yourself in the format. Watch a lot of these shows. Watch the best uh, authors and experts and pundits who are interviewed on those shows. A lot of cops have, have gotten very good at it. There's a guy named Mark Safarik who was a former FBI uh, behaviorist. He's great at, at doing these sorts of things. Yeah, there are a bunch of others who are just really good at, at conforming to the needs of, of television while not 
lying or distorting the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th I think that was probably the, the weirdest thing. It's like when they were talking about his childhood and asking me a question, it's like, well, you know, about how many animals were killed and, you know, this neighbor girls were attacked. And it's like, well, we have no evidence of that. Are you sure there couldn't have been any or anything? And, and it took them about 20 minutes. And then uh, the director said, well, we'll just skip the childhood. There you go. You know, so I guess, you know, I get it, but I'm just saying that I, it, it wasn't a great experience for me. I, I, I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's okay. I mean, you know, you're right. I got some sunshine. I got a nice hotel. Uh, got to stay. They send hookers, right? Usually they send hookers. Well, not the, no, they wouldn't send the ones I'd want. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, but I was at the JW Marriott, so it was a nice hotel. Your, um, everything was fine. I, I shouldn't complain. There we go. See, now you solve my great. problem. See? There you go. I, I, I'm a psychiatrist. Yeah, you're a psychiatrist. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm an ex-Navy SEAL and, of course, a freelance sexual surrogate and professional <laughs> Daniel Craig impersonator. I may have been a bit creative in my bio. <laughs> so you, I can see. I was working for you down there. <laughs> oh, now, so <laughs> you are a New York Times best-selling author number one what is yeah what, what, what so it, it, explain that experience the very first time that happened to you ah the hookers the drinks the parties um it was yeah. actually pretty low-key um that came from a book i co-authored with my old dear friend janet ivanovich and i think i was sitting at home in my pajamas looking at the uh internet eating uh, Cheerios or something at my desk and saw it online. Oh, geez, I'm, I'm number one. And I, I called up Janet and said, we're number one. She's been number one a lot. She said, yeah, yeah. I said, so <laughs> this is a big deal. She said, yeah, it's very big. Okay. Well, great, thanks. <laughs> I didn't get any, you know, uh, parade. I didn't get any basket. I didn't get – it was very low, low key, but it's career changing. I mean – in, in my career, I've been very fortunate. Just this week, uh, my novel, True Fiction, hit number 11 on the Washington Post bestseller list. The other bestseller lists haven't come out yet this week. Um, so it, it's, I've, I've hit the Washington Post list, the Wall Street Journal list, the USA Today list, and it's great. And it's great not so much for your ego, because my ego doesn't need the help. <laughs> As my wife and family will be glad to tell you. It's, it's great because it tells readers that you're the real deal, that... It helps them jump one more hurdle towards acquiring the book or, or giving you a chance. Um, it shows you're a proven commodity. Because it's hard to stand out among all the noise and clutter of the, of the books out there. Yeah, do you, do you like the way the world's going in that direction? I mean, there's so many self-published books now, everybody and their dog has I them. love it. Okay. I love it. It's amazing. It has given so many authors opportunities they never had before, not just aspiring authors, but authors who have been published for quite some time. There's, there's what we call the, you know, the huge best-selling box store authors like Janet Ivanovich and Harlan Coben and Michael Connolly, the, the big household names. Then there's the vast mid-list, and these are the authors who are neither best-selling authors nor poorly-selling authors. They just exist in the middle. And it's a hard, rough life. Few of them can, can make a living at it. They have to have other careers at the same time. And over the years, a lot of publishers have dropped those mid-list authors and said, sorry, you're done, we can't make any money off of you, there's not enough readers, the stores won't carry you, uh, sorry. 
And then Amazon came along with this self-publishing platform, and these authors were not only able to republish their out-of-print books and make more money than they ever did when they were in print, but also restart their careers and write new books and reach an even broader audience. So now it's possible for anybody with a mouse and an Internet connection to become a published author, to be on the same shelf with John, uh, James Patterson or John Grisham or Nora Roberts. The downside is you're on the same shelf with those people, and you're going to have to be as good. Your, your book is going to have to be as well-written, as well-copy-edited, as well-presented, and as well-marketed. Just because you can click and be published doesn't mean you necessarily should. But it, it makes it now so much easier and, and offers authors so many more options. If you're dropped by your publisher now, it's not a scarlet letter. You're not toxic anymore. You can go on. Um, the bad side of it is there's been a tsunami of swill that has swept over Amazon and the iBookstore and Barnes and & Noble of just unreadable, unpublishable, god-awful crap. So weeding through all that can be difficult. And that's where, getting back to your number one New York Times bestselling author question, that's where it really helps me, rise above that tsunami of swill and be seen. Um, yeah. So it's great. It's democratized publishing for, for the masses, but it's also made it harder for authors to become noticed. Yeah, I've, I've kind of felt a mixed bag because you do uh, have a lot more options, but uh, I, I, there's just so much garbage out there now. And, and oh, unbelievable, Matt. I, I just, you know, it, it's, it's not even spell-checked. It's just an ugly mess, and, and there's no regulations on it, and that, that just kind of drives me crazy. Um, but... Who was your biggest influence? I, that's a good question. I don't think I have a single influence. I've been influenced by so many authors. I've been influenced by Larry McMurtry uh, for his humor and humanity, John Irving for much the same thing, uh, Gregory MacDonald for his rapid-fire dialogue and his Fletch novels. Um, I, I, I read uh, John D. MacDonald's Travis McGee books. Those had a big impact on me just uh, in terms of, of social commentary and uh, telling a mystery story. I'm, I'm a voracious crime and thriller reader. So there, so many authors have, have impacted me. Robert B. Parker also for his dialogue and his lean prose. I've learned so much from writing with Janet, and that's definitely impacted my work, certainly in recent years. I'm, I'm always reading. I'm always learning. I, I think if you want to be a, a writer, you've got to read. Or if you want to be a TV writer, you have to watch television. That's the best education, to look for, learn from the successes and mistakes of other people doing the same thing you are. Yes, yeah, exactly. I agree with that. You've got to keep on moving, uh, keep growing. Um, now, this, is, this true fiction is um, part one of two book series. Um, explain a little bit what, what this series is about. Well, hopefully it's not just a two-book series. Hopefully we'll be talking in ten years when I'm on book 25. Uh, but... <laughs> It, it's 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 not a series in terms of he's a private detective or he's a cop or he's a spy. It's sort of the unfolding, continuing adventures of a very unusual hero. My hero in this in this book is Ian Ludlow. He's an author of Jack Reacher type thrillers about this incredible action hero who, who can fight his way or talk his way out of any situation, and who, who women just fall for left and right. You know, my 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 hero Ian is none of those things. Like Lee Child, for instance, is a friend of mine. He's not Reacher. He's nothing like Reacher. Um, and a lot of my friends, Lee Child, Brad Meltzer, a bunch of others, have been approached by 
Homeland Security, the CIA, to consult on terrorism issues, meaning they want these authors to just spitball ideas that terrorists might do, uh, novel plots, so that the CIA can, and Homeland Security can anticipate terrorist scenarios that they aren't imaginative enough to come up with themselves. This has been going on for decades, you know, back to World War II. It's not a new thing. So I thought it would be a interesting and fun if, if my character, Ian, was one of those authors who consulted with Homeland Security. A terrorist attack happens that he anticipated years ago in one of those meetings with Homeland Security, and he calls up the other authors and screenwriters who are in those meetings with him and discovers they're all dead. And he realizes, holy crap, um, <laughs> the CIA pulled this off, and all the accidents I've been having recently isn't just bad luck and being a klutz. They've been trying to kill me. And he goes on the run. You know, a guy with no special skills is now on the run from a massive government intelligence agency, and what's he going to do? And he has to become, essentially, his, the action hero he writes about. So I juxtapose his life with excerpts from the books he's written and you know, the reality in between. And that, that book you know, is basically a Three Days of the Condor, North by Northwest kind of thriller that also pokes fun at the, at the genre. The sequel, I don't want to give too much away because it'll, it'll um, impact how people feel about the first book, but in the sequel, Ian is in Hong Kong where they're shooting a movie version of one of his books. He's there doing promotion and finds himself becoming, finds one of his fictional plots becoming true yet again and how, how he has to deal with the, the unbelievable, you can't believe it's happening one more time, <laughs> and, uh, and how, he, how he has to deal with this new, this new conspiracy while he's on foreign soil. It's, uh, <laughs> well, that's... And, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm middle of book number three now. I don't want to tip what that's about. But each book is very different. Um, I'm not going to be repeating the same thing book after book, though it sounds like I am from what I just told you. It's not. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being cagey because I don't want to reveal yeah. you know, the, the surprises in, in the second book. But it's not a rehash of the first one. And I certainly acknowledge the improbability of the events of the first book or the situation of the first book happening again. That becomes a, a key issue in the sequel. So it's, it's sort of the evolution of my character from being a, an innocent guy outside the world of international espionage, sort of being sucked into it, and how his experiences writing fiction and watching fiction are impacting that experience. That's a great idea. You know, you should put it in a book. <laughs> you know, I should. I, I better get back to writing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you talk about this book and you're talking about current affairs in a way and you're 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 really discussing uh like when you say cia and stuff um now you're 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 as old as i am and i have to say that um how do you feel the 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 u.s acts and feels toward their agencies like CIA and FBI. Is it the same as it was 20, 30 years ago? Well, it, it evolves. I mean, we don't want... Um, you want you want a, a jaundiced eye on the activities of our intelligence agencies. They don't always work in our benefit, to our benefit. Right. But I think what's happening now is you have a... And this is showing my political leanings. You have a, a leader who has done things that are wrong and is terrified of his wrongdoing, that his wrongdoing and those of the people around him coming out. So his idea of, of defending himself is to undercut the legitimacy of the agencies doing the investigation. We've seen that before from despots and dictators and other guilty people. So in that way, it's different. 
but by the same token, I think it's good to have a healthy skepticism about law enforcement and the intelligence because they can overstep their bounds. I, I have to say, all the I've done a lot of cop shows and I've I've written a lot of crime novels, and all the police officers and FBI agents and and, and law enforcement authorities and forensic investigators and I've ever met have been conscientious, hardworking, and the reason they do what they do is to protect us and their families from harm. And they put their lives online every day for us, and that has to be respected. But there are people who use that badge. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That authority um, inappropriately. And we, we need to keep that in mind. We don't want to go back to the days of Dragnet and the FBI where we treated the intelligence agencies <laughs> and law enforcement as absolutely wonderful and pure and and uh, totally trustworthy and would never do the wrong thing. We don't want to have that kind of, of attitude either. Um, I yeah. think there's a middle ground between absolute trust and adoration and trashing the hard work that our um, law enforcement and intelligence officers do every day. Yeah, I'm just not I'm just not thrilled with the um, overall attitude of uh, they're all bad. You know, just that whole. You know, uh, it's just they're, I don't want to say the words, but you, you hear a lot of bad talk about the agencies now as if they're all corrupt and the deep state, you know? Yeah, well, it's craziness. It's absolute craziness. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I like to believe that most Americans won't fall for it, but then again, Trump got elected. So clearly I'm living in some kind of bubble being a West Coast big city person that, you know, and, 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 I mean, joking aside, I have friends who live in the Midwest, who live in Kansas and Kentucky, and 
who voted for Trump, and they're good people. They're not racist. They're not homophobes. And I understand what motivated them to do it. I, I do. I do get it. Um, I wish they hadn't done it, but I understand what motivated them. And I'm also hearing a lot of regret from those same people. So I think there might be a, a tide turning. I, I understand. I, I, I voted for Hillary with my nose pinched and my head turned away, but I did vote for her. And I just think we Democrats had a bad candidate. And I think we, it's a shame that uh, it turned out the way it did. But I think we may see a turn in November, and I think we will certainly see a turn at the end of Trump's presidency. Uh, you know, I, I really hope so, because... <laughs> <laughs> this this deep state conspiracy day to day is just crazy. You know, I feel like I'm uh, living in uh, the times of uh, Star Magazine. You know, <laughs> but what kills me is the, a scandal that would have taken down any candidate or any president before. Trump commits on a daily basis. <laughs> We've got porn stars who say he uh, was was having affairs with them. He the things he says and does, and you think back that. Gary Hart got thrown out of of the uh, of the race because he had a woman sitting on his lap, yeah. you know, in a photo that went with public, and they were all dressed and were just sitting on a dock. You know, um, President Clinton was was impeached because he had a consensual sexual relationship with an intern. If you look at the things Trump has done and said, and it's just it's astonishing. I mean, there was a I can't remember the name of the um, Democratic political candidate, uh, presidential candidate who got thrown out of the race. Years ago, because he he won a state and went whoop whoop whoop, it oh, was a little yeah. too enthusiastic. Dean, Dean. Yes, I mean yeah. that got him out. But but Trump could say that he goes around grabbing women by their private parts and <laughs> and that all Mexicans are rapists and nothing happens, nothing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I, we could catch Trump sitting in his office smoking pot while watching porn on the internet and reading the KKK monthly, and it still would not get him thrown out of office. Yeah, there's a certain group uh, that feel he's he's God's choice. You know, he's 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 saving the way. But just now, the criteria for scandal has gotten so high <laughs> that it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I know it's depressing. It makes it hard for writers. I mean, imagine how hard it is right now for the writers of the new James Bond film to come up with a plot. How hard it is for me to come up with a plot when, when you're dealing with international espionage and all that, because the craziest things have already happened. Yeah. It, it's hard to out-crazy what's happening in reality. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, it just it doesn't end. But um, So now, what other things have you got kind of lined up? Because you, do you do other writing still for other magazines or newspapers or anything? Or are you just I don't doing... do I don't do any journalism anymore. I, I do still write for television and I still write books. Um, I have feature films in development. Uh, one is based on my my novel The Walk. Another one is based on a novel that I was hired to write. Um, and I and I'm right now writing a. Um, well, that's a bad sentence. I'm right now writing. I am in the process of writing a uh, a movie for a Hallmark Mystery Channel, and hopefully that'll be shooting in the fall. So it's uh, I'm keeping busy on, in both screenwriting and in in novels. Do you feel journalism has gone south, as a lot of people claim? No. Yeah. And, and I come from a family of journalists. My father was a television anchorman in San Francisco. My mother was a feature writer, 
and my grandmother was a reporter in Spokane, and so was my great uncle. So it's, it's journalism. Journalism is in my blood, and I think right now journalism is more needed than ever before as a check on the falsehoods coming out of of Washington, and also the propaganda coming out of some networks and and publications. I think never before has not never before, but the time now journalism is necessary for the proper running of our republic. It's necessary for our, our citizens to know the truth. I mean, just today, um, Trump was talking about how there were millions of fraudulent votes cast in his election, and CNN said that's a falsehood. It's important that we have journalists who are willing to say the truth in the face of, of lies. I, but I, I find that's sort of the problem, because, you know, any... Um major event that happens like the Las Vegas shooting or or the one just in Florida um, within hours you have you know uh, YouTube and and frankly some anything Alex Jones Infowar those aren't Rogers, journalists no I know those aren't journalists oh I know it's terrible but they're considered journalism and and people go to them at, for their at best, uh, storytelling, and they think that journalism's just not telling you the truth. It's not the truth. Well, anybody who thinks Hannity or, or Alex Jones is journalism is a lunatic. I mean, it's, it's opinion. It's, it's entertainment. Right. It's not journalism. There's no reporting being done there, and there's an enormous bias. I mean, Hannity just spent the weekend with, with uh, Trump in, in Florida. <laughs> I mean, there's... He's his personal propagandist, and it, it, the people can't discern the difference between news and propaganda and opinion. That's scary, but uh, I don't think there's any question that – and then there are people – it goes both ways. There are people on CNN who are not doing journalism either. I, I, right. it, it's, it bothers me now to see people like Don Lemon uh, and Anderson Cooper going away from objectively reporting the news and inserting their own opinions. Uh, into their reporting, and I think that's a slippery slope. I think it's one thing to say someone is factually incorrect, like the president talking about millions of people voting illegally, as opposed to expressing an opinion that what the president is doing is wrong. I think, say in the case of Don Lemon on CNN, if I were CNN, I would say that his show is, I would actually put something on the program saying it is news commentary. It is not news. Um, but that's just me, and I'm, I'm saying that as, as a confessed liberal Democrat, that yeah. um, CNN, I think, is in danger of becoming Fox if they aren't careful. Well, I, I, I'm sort of getting that feeling with most of them. Um, everything is becoming just editorial and not so much news. Like, I'm not getting news from any of these networks. Uh, the, I'm back to the local. I have to get it from the local stations here or uh, local uh, news people or you know what I'm saying like uh, to turn on any national news nowadays it's just it's just all Trump that's true and that's so true. much it's so much opinion that's all you know um, but another day so what it what was your most uh, out of the books you've written which one stays with you still today like which one do you still still comes to mind which one that resonates resonates in what way emotionally for me yeah it just it's, it's, it can come up to the blue but it, it happens 
every year and something about it or something that you've written, it stays in your mind and it, it, it returns every year. I wrote, it doesn't return every year, but it certainly returned today when we had a, a mild earthquake here in Los Angeles. I wrote a book back in the early 2000s called The Walk about a guy who's stuck in downtown L.A. when the big one hits and has to walk back across this landscape of destruction to his gated community in Calabasas in the San Fernando Valley. And I think about that a lot because I, that guy was basically me, and um, I got that idea because I was in the worst neighborhood of Los Angeles in downtown, just a god-awful neighborhood, shooting a TV show, and I thought, God, if the big one hits right now, I'm screwed. And it, it, it turned into a novel. And I can't help but think about that every time we have an aftershock or every time I'm in a bad neighborhood. Um, it, it, it comes back all the time, that particular uh, book and the experience I wrote about. Plus, I, I often drive the route that my hero had to walk to get back home, so it reminds me of, of that, too. But in terms of a, a book, I, I wrote a book recently that hasn't been uh, published yet, um, which will be published. I can't talk about it too much because um, the deal hasn't been announced, but I, I wrote a book that was inspired by a, a true crime, and that true crime haunted me so much that I had to write a fictionalized account of it just to deal with getting it out of my head. And, uh, so that, that one still haunts me, too. So that, that was in a different way, and it's fairly recent because that's the last book I finished writing, so uh, it's still with me. Yeah. You could tell us, but then you'd have to kill us. Or I'd be killed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you're you're just a busy man. Uh, I have to be. I have expensive wife and child and dog. Uh, yeah, I bet. You know, that dog probably, you know, living in the... That dog has, I can't pronounce it, Swarovski crystals on her on her <laughs> collar. You know, this dog is demanding. I I. I I guess you know have to take it to the spa and yeah uh, to 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 be a rich rich American in the <laughs> and you know I've got my service staff to deal with. There's the butlers, the maids. You know it's it's the gardeners, the beekeeper. It's really it's quite a payroll. Well, I <laughs> quite the upkeep. Now you were part of Monk as well. That's yes, it. I was. Did you what just write some of the books and some of the stories? Or I wrote I wrote four episodes of the show and fifteen monk novels, and two of the monk novels became episodes of the show. So how does something like that happen? Um, I was writing for the show, yeah, and the creator of the series was approached about writing original novels based on the show, based on the character. These are not. Uh, novelizations of, of scripts and he said he wasn't interested but um he knew i wrote novels and he trusted me implicitly because i was already writing for the show he said if lee wants to write the books then i'm all for it and i said sure i'll write the books and uh, <laughs> you know, that's how it happened and it, it was great i really enjoyed writing those 15 novels when you do something like that kind of a, on a series character like this and that's been in a in in a tv series what do you find that you enjoy about it? But at the same time, what do you find that's not so enjoyable about it? Well, the enjoyment is being able to delve deeper into the character, to flesh out the character more than you can in an hour of television, or actually 44 minutes of television. The bad side is that that character is still alive on TV and doing things that, um, and having adventures and stuff that, that may be difficult for you to reconcile in your book, because it takes 
five, six months to write a book, and then another few months before the book is out. That's a whole season of television. So you are competing with the character as it exists on TV. And you're competing with the audience perception of the character as it exists on TV. They see an actor's face. They have all that backstory and baggage going in when they read your book. So it's a plus and a minus. There would be a tendency among weaker writers to do a very half-assed job in uh, setting up the character, describing the character, because they figure, oh, everybody knows who this character is. I always approach the Monk books as if there was no TV series, as if everyone was approaching Monk for the first time in my books. And I know that the creator of the show loved my books. He says, even though I created Monk and I'm writing Monk every day, yours feels so much different in a good way. He says, it's almost like having Frank Sinatra cover a song that you wrote. It's your song, but boy, old Blue Eyes really brings something to it. He he really enjoyed it. He thought my Monk was a little more sad, a little more introspective, a little more melodramatic. There was still still humor, um, but to fill out a 400-page book, 400-page of manuscript, I should say, you need to delve a little deeper. You have to have more character. You have to have more story than you have in a 44-minute TV episode where everything is shown, everything is said. There's no introspection. There's no... um, there is depth, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, it's conveyed in a different way. They're two very different mediums with different demands. So that was a big challenge, and it was hard for me to be writing a Monk book at the same time I was writing a Monk episode. I had to, it was difficult to, to keep the two different Monks in mind. They're still the same character, but two different aspects of the same character. And how did you uh, come across with um, and meet and get, get hooked up with Janet Ivanovich? Janet and I have been friends for, God, 20 years. We've been friends so long that we actually don't remember how we first met. But we do know we met probably around the time that her very first novel in the Plum series, One for the Money, was coming out, because she wasn't a big celebrity at the time. Um, and I've just, I've just stayed in touch with her all these years. We would talk a few times a year, and I'd see her whenever she was in town. And uh, we never talked about writing together. It kind of came out of a, a dinner conversation we had I don't know, five years ago, we were talking about the books we like to read and the shows we like to watch and uh, those kinds of shows and books weren't being done anymore. And, and she was also real curious, like you, about how the whole Monk thing worked and how I collaborate with writers, because uh, she'd done other collaborations, you know, how I collaborate with writers on TV shows and books. And, and there was this long silence, the way friends often have in conversations. And uh, she said, how come we've never written a book together? I said, you never asked. She said, why don't we write this one we're talking about, the one we wish somebody would write? I said, okay. And I think less than a year later, we were number two on the New York Times bestseller list. It was great. Now, do do things like that matter to you now, Um, being number one or number two or or selling a lot of books or meeting some other authors that you might compete with or that write in the same sort of field as you? Well, that's a multi-part question. The first part is, does it matter to me to, to have those accolades, to be number one or number two on the bestseller list? Hell yes, for all the reasons I said before. It's important for my discoverability, for my reputation, for um, the sales of my books. So, yes. Is it necessary for my ego? No, my ego is just, just fine. It's fine. <laughs> but, but as far as meeting other authors, I absolutely love that. I have not stopped being a huge fan. And I still have pinch-me moments where I meet my favorite authors from my childhood or authors I truly admire, and, and it's such a thrill for me. I, I, I love it, um, and I hope I never lose that. 
it, it's so great to meet authors I admire, and I don't see authors, any authors, as my competitors. That's the big difference between, I think, authors and Hollywood. Uh, for the most part, authors don't believe if you buy a book, that's a book you're not going to buy from me. We, we help each other out all the time. We're, it's a very, very supportive and open community. Um, it's not backstabbing, dog-eat-dog, at least not among authors, maybe among publishers, but not authors. So that's, that's been great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I understand. I, I, I meet early, early radio people, and it's pretty exciting at times, too. But, but not too many anymore. <laughs> so what's next for you, Lee? I'm writing the third book in the uh, Ian Ludlow uh, series. I'm in the midst of writing it now, and I'm writing uh, that Hallmark movie I mentioned before, and crossing my fingers that the, the feature scripts that I've, I've written actually come to fruition. They've got directors attached, and they're making offers to actors, but I've been down that road many, many times before, so I don't get excited until I'm actually sitting on the set watching it being shot. Right, right. Until you're there and doing it, you, you just don't know, right? It's all smoke. Wow. This has been amazing. I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you. The number one New York Times best-selling author, Lee Goldberg. I have my wife say that to me. Hey, number one New York Times best-selling author, can you help bring up the laundry? Hey, number. I mean, everyone now in my family, including the dog, has to precede my name with number one New York Times best-selling author. Not that I have an ego or anything. No, but that's exciting. You can change your name. Yeah. Wouldn't quite be the same. Unless I change my name to John Grisham. Yeah, well, yeah. No. Or Dan Brown. Change it to... Number one, New York Times, <laughs> Lee Goldberg, best-selling author. You know, you may have something there. I, it, it can work. It can ring. I mean, it really could. And then, then you can be opening up for Nancy Grace. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't I doing that already? I mean, uh... Uh, no, actually, no, 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 no. She, um, no, she's her own headline. Come on. Oh, I thought your interview with her immediately preceded mine. So uh, I did, I but I... of course she gets headline status, so she's. <laughs> Don't worry, the editors take care of that. Sorry. <laughs> well, you are getting the whole spectrum. I'm sure you didn't ask her the Trump questions. She would have torn your head off. <clears throat> yes, no, no, I do not talk uh, politics with uh, Nancy. You know. In fact, I wouldn't even talk. I'd just get out of her way. Yeah, you know, you just have to tread carefully. You know what? I I tell you what, just in case, I, if anything, actually her agent is much, much worse. She can kill a man at ten paces. Ah, okay. And I'm saying that live, so I I might not be alive next week. <laughs> but it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, and uh, it's been my pleasure too. And this has been good, and I, I'm glad we. Uh, got to talk and, and talk a little bit about uh, your new books and some of what you've done. I had no idea how much you'd really done. You know, you've done oh, and we should mention, we forgot all about this, a large portion of the book is set in Seattle. Oh, wow. I, you know, I wished I knew that, you know, because then, uh, God, yeah, we could have done a promo on that, too. Yeah, the, for the first quarter of the book is, is, at least the first quarter of the book, is set in, uh, in Seattle. Well, well, and, and Laurelhurst and all over the place. And, who, who's uh, your agent? Get your agent on there. They never. <laughs> <laughs> they were, that's terrible. I I tried to take care of all the Seattle stuff. Oh. Anyway, 
Well, thank you very much. And, and My pleasure. And I uh, hope to talk to you again. I hope so, too. i got many more books coming, so book me now before I get too busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to get an agent. Harvey, why? To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.